You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. The Astros even up the World Series with a five to nothing win tonight, and four of their pitchers combined to no hit. The Philadelphia Phillies combined no hitters. I mean, that's hard to do because usually somebody's gonna give it up. Hey, I understand the team isn't good enough. Yeah, I get that 100. percent I get they have some flaws on the back end, but does that explain why not a single player on this team? has good habits. All anybody wanted was to see the Canucks stop digging, right? Just, you want to get out of a hole? Stop digging. Stop digging. Just stop. Nah, no, now dig up, stupid. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Uh, good, thank you. Laddie, how are you? Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason, tell the people more about Kintech. Ah, uh, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. We love you so. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show ahead on a Thursday. Massive sports day tonight, today and tonight as well. Uh, 6.30, Peter Galindo, our soccer expert from Sportsnet. Uh, He's also going to be our correspondent, boots on the ground in Qatar for the World Cup. We're going to talk to Peter about the Canadian squad announced yesterday that we'll have the first of the final two warm-up matches for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. This team goes to Bahrain, loaded with MLS guys. So we'll ask Peter what that means. What are the big developments uh, over the last couple of weeks? Going to ask him about Stephen Eustachio. Lots of questions for Peter Galindo of Sportsnet as we get closer and closer to the World Cup. Will Peter know the dates that the roster has to be set for the World Cup, et cetera, et cetera? Like... Peter knows it all. Okay, We will throw all kinds of questions at him. Okay. And if he can't answer it, we will Google it. We'll Google it. We'll Google it, yeah. All right. Uh, 7 o'clock, Rick Campbell, head coach of the British Columbia Lions, joins us. Uh, The Lions are just a few days away from their biggest game in at at the least six years and maybe a decade. The uh, CFL playoffs return to BC Place on Sunday. Nathan Rourke took a bunch of first-team reps at practice yesterday, so we'll ask Rick about that. Also, the Lions have a big announcement today. Big announcement. Yeah, it was, uh, well, a couple of... First, the Canucks had that major uh, announcement. That was major a major press, announcement. Press this is conference. a big announcement. Notice the difference. Was it? Is it not major? It's not made. It's big. Major. I, I think actually they were used the word major. As yeah. Well, so. So yeah. I I wonder what that's going to be. I, I was thinking maybe the Grey Cup coming here in a year or two. I don't know. They're going to sign Horvat to an extension. It's possible. It is possible. 7 o'clock, Rick Campbell is going to join us to talk all things BC They did Lions. use major, by the way. Confirmed. Did they? Yeah, so two major announcements major. in a week. Not discounting the major announcement that we had about the Halford and Bruff World Cup watch party. Right. What, a, what a week for announcements. Those things come in threes. <laughs> oh, we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is you've got an extension. The bad news is it's in the CFL. You know how to play football? <laughs> we're going to think outside the box here, Bo. That's how we're going to break out of this slump. 
Okay, 7.30, David Amber is going to join us, Sportsnet NHL host. It is a massive, massive night in the NHL tonight. 13 games, 13, including the Canucks and Ducks. 7 p.m., Rogers Arena, Bieksa night. David and Kevin, of course, are co-workers now on the panel at Sportsnet, so we'll talk to him at uh, 7.30 and then 8 o'clock to preview the Canucks and Ducks. Brendan Batchelor, the play-by-play voice of those Canucks. So working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's Batch. 7.30, it's David Amber. 7 o'clock, it's Rick Campbell. 6.30, it's Peter Galindo. You've got hockey tonight. You've got Thursday night football tonight. You've got Game 5 of the World Series tonight. You've got NBA tonight. There is a ton of sports to consume. We've got some tickets to give away as well. We also have tickets to give away to Saturday's game. That's correct, Andy? Saturday's game against Na- or, yeah Nashville. That's right. So it's a big show. It's a big night. It's a great time to be doing the sprots. So without further ado, let's look back. Let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? Wednesday, as it will henceforth be known, was griping about the Canucks Day here on the Halford and Bruff Show, and then on the rest of the shows on the Sportsnet 650 lineup. Everybody was muy caliente on Wednesday. Extra spicy, crispy, if you will. Everyone was fired up across the board. Except for us, though. We were just like, we're in acceptance. <laughs> we've come to... We've come to We've come to accept this is a bad team, and uh, you you know how uh, at the beginning of the season, um, you and I were both like, we don't want this season to go pear-shaped again, because right. some people accuse the media of being like, you guys love it when the team is bad, mm-hmm. and I, I, get, I get why that's out there. There are some media that kind of relish that opportunity. Um, and we are sometimes at our best in those sometimes, but, but overall, like big picture, it's bad for business. It's bad for the show. Fewer people listen. So we were sitting there at the beginning of the, of, of the season going, man, like I, I, I don't even know if I'll be angry if, if the Canucks start off badly again, I'll just kind of be like out of gas. Yeah. You know, like out of anger, out of, you know, like getting, getting tired of just yelling and, you know, it's, 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 it's not, it's not always fun. Sometimes it's fun, but it's not always fun. But, you know, this is what a good team does. And I'm talking about Sportsnet 650, the team, when we were down, when we were not feeling the energy to yell about the Canucks, other people on the roster, other people up and down the lineup yeah, picked us up. Now, I want to make this abundantly clear. Uh, this is by no means a coordinated effort. We don't have the capabilities to do that. We can barely put together like a, a, a staff party, never mind the entire staff being aligned. This is pure organic mm-hmm. rage. Well, it just comes down to good habits, you know? Sats just got good He's good disciplined. Habits He's and, disciplined. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. And Adrance is, I don't know. He's just fiery. Yeah, I guess. But the, the, the point being is uh, it's, this is all very organic. To any of you media conspiracists out there who thought that all of the shows got together and we tried to come in with our stage of grief, grief which is acceptance, and then other shows were going to show their stages. Still in the anger phase. That's right. That's not how it happened. This is It all just kind of unfolded, which is the best part because everyone knows 
when that particular breaking point is. Yours was a while ago. Like, people are asking for the Mount Bruff explosion. I know. I love that on Twitter. And Bruff is like, I don't have the strength anymore. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> I just can't do it. You know I'm, what? I'm <laughs> out of lava. Yeah. <laughs> the Mount Bruff volcano is, you know, they it go, is dormant forever. It, it is, you know, it's extinct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's extinct. What Remember would it we, take? What would it take? We, for learned, mountain now? we learned that in high school in, in, like, geography. There's, like, active volcanoes, dormant volcanoes that can become active again. And then like extinct Baker. volcanoes. Yeah, I think I'm probably dormant. What would Let's it take, though? I don't think I'm... tangent here. What would it take for you to erupt again? Really? Like if you had to think about it for Canucks, anything? Probably like a human sacrifice, throwing it <laughs> into the volcano. I would say there must be yeah. a, there must be a new breaking point for Bruff. I hope we find it. I want to probably see it again. probably uh, like a crazy like another OEL trade. <laughs> yeah, you know, like trading more first round draft trading picks. Okay. Might trading do more. Uh, no, no, that really I, honestly, man, like. If we're gonna talk about, uh, I'm I'm open to any possibility. <laughs> Don't make him go down this road. He has <laughs> no, 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 no. He, has, he has no Laddie. affinity. He has no affinity for nobody Laddie. on the team. I I had uh, nobody. He doesn't like nobody. Pedersen. I mean, yeah, I'm oh, open goodness. to anything at this point. A little too moody for my liking. The only uh, the only thing I'm against is. Uh, Keeping whatever, keep doing whatever they're doing. I don't want that. Anything different. Like mm-hmm. I'm open to anything. You can move both Pedersons, both Elias Pedersons. As yeah, far as and, he's concerned. and Lane Peterson is that a guy now? Like also move him too. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we do want to harken back to yesterday because it was um, it was fun listening for a change on Sportsnet 650. It was entertaining. So we're gonna start with. We should go. <laughs> what? <are> you, what? <laughs> Why? Why? Don't that. Say that. Why? Why can I say that? For a Why? Well, I mean, <laughs> come on. Work. Some, some just echoing the listeners. Sometimes entertainment. Top of the other shows, maybe a little sometimes bit. Sometimes entertainment is not at the forefront of a lot of different shows' minds. They're there to do oh whatever else it is that they do. But we're gonna we're gonna focus here on the entertainment. Keep digging. Yeah. Grant is gonna have to tell you to stop digging. Uh, they all know this. I'm not saying anything out loud. Right? They all know they're tomorrow. not entertaining. Yeah, they know that I know it. It's not my fault. Um, <laughs> they know that I know that they know yeah, that I know. Right? I mean, come on. Anyway, uh, we'll start with Drantz. Uh, this was shortly after we were on the air, and I guess this is going to henceforth be known as the dig, stop digging, or the digging up clip, which is Drantz has actually brought a couple really good lines to the table the other day because we were talking about the Canucks pecking away at this roster, and the line was essentially, uh, can you do this with a beak or do you need a bulldozer? And I was like, ooh. Keep that one there. But Drance continued in his uh, loquacious ways. Sorry. This is Thomas Drance from yesterday on Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd talking about the current state of the Vancouver Canucks. The fact is, is that this fan base agitated for change last season. Desperately. Desperately agitated. In person. Spent money to do it. Right? That change was made and all anybody wanted was to see the Canucks stop digging. Right? Just, you want to get out of a hole? Stop digging. Stop digging. Just stop. Just stop digging. You don't need to change it overnight, despite what the organization might say about this market's expectations. We're not looking for fantasy hockey trades. We really aren't. Just stop digging. But this team can't help itself. Right? How do you commit $75 million in forward salaries since the market opened on July 13th? Right? How do you add... Win now pieces, a 29-year-old, a 27-year-old, and go 2-6-2. Two, and two. How do you dig this hole in the posture that this team is in? How do you send out three draft picks in, in 12 months? 
and then build this and then be this. How does a management group come in talking about prioritizing cap flexibility and getting younger and how they're not buying the strong run to close last season because the goaltending patched over a lot of the issues that the club had dead on, by the way, right? Dead on assessment from the front office. They knew, they knew what they had. Why did their behavior, why did their moves not match that? Why does this organization compound the on-ice failure we see with an utter dreary hopelessness in terms of overall direction? It's not normal. It's not normal. Fans are not being just outrageous hysterics in a Canadian market. When they look at this and say, what? What? Are you serious? What? That's the only reasonable reaction. He's out of line, but he's right. He ain't wrong. He's I'll not wrong that. at all. I'll say that. He's not wrong at all. That 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 was the confusing thing about the offseason. And we went into this offseason thinking there's going to be pretty significant changes. And it was almost like this management group went into this offseason with an unrealistic expectation of how they were going to clear cap space. And they're like, right, we're going to clear some contracts out. Uh did you know there's a flat cap and people don't want your bad players? Right? Like, you're not going to be able to trade certain guys because they're not good. They're not good hockey players, some of them, and they're overpaid. And there are too many players on the Canucks that don't provide value to the Canucks. So why would other teams want them? And then when they seem to come to that realization that it was going to be hard to clear some of these players out and then they were like well I guess this is the team we got so let's lock it in and in fact let's let's add to it let's bring in Mikheyev who listen is not a bad player but to Drance's point he's 28 years old and he's got a cap hit near five million dollars and he's yet another winger I would love to know the, the what percentage we're talking about of listeners, Canucks fans, even casual observers who are in the they're still going to turn this around camp because it's there was some last year. Yeah, everyone had the crutch of well they'll do better if they got rid of Travis Green and those people with those crutches were proven somewhat accurate, quite accurate as a matter of fact based just solely on the record. Now I wonder how many are left. I really do. I'd be very curious if you're one of those folks uh, with no judgment. And no malice in my heart. Text into 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Are you convinced that there is a six or eight game winning streak upcoming for this group that's going to get them back into and around NHL 500? Can I take your question further? Uh, yeah, by all means. Do you believe in this core? Do you believe... You're asking the listeners now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you... 650-650, text in. Do you guys believe in this core group of players? Do you think the failure of management is the fact that this core has not been surrounded by good enough pieces, good enough secondary pieces. And let's call the core Miller, Pedersen, Horvat, Hughes, and Demko. Do you think if those guys are your leading players, so they're your leaders, they're your culture setters, they're your best players, so you can't add anyone better than those guys but you can add good secondary pieces. Do you think realistically, if that core was surrounded by 
a better supporting group that the Canucks would be Stanley Cup contenders because I don't. Because what I'd like to do now is play the second spicy clip from yesterday as again, United we are in our disappointment with the hockey squadron. Sportsnet 650 bringing it all day yesterday. Satyar Shah, who was uh, on the afternoon. This is after Drance's uh, keep digging. Why keep digging? Durant. Sat kind of alludes to what you're talking about here. This roster on the whole, uh, I believe he called it unserious. There were some real, real uh, harsh words for the habits and the routines and the practices of the guys that currently construct the Vancouver Canucks roster. Here is Satyar Shah yesterday in the afternoon talking about the Canucks, just like Drance did. This is an unserious group of players. Yeah. They really, really are, right? Like, as far as the habits go, as far as the the real desire and discipline it takes to be a good winning hockey team. And, hey, I, I understand the team isn't good enough. Yeah, I get that 100%. Uh, I get they have some flaws on the back end. But does that explain why not a single player on this team has good habits? Like, which player can hang their hat on every single game, I do the right thing, and I sh- and I uphold that standard for the rest of my teammates? Who does that? Is uh, it the captain? Mm. I know he scored two goals. He's got yeah. eight on the season. Fantastic. Is it him that no. ran around like a chicken with his head cut off on the PK? Yeah. Even admit it, give, gives up the seam pass across because he's he trying to close down on Dougie Hamilton when he's got so much space to cover. Way too much Over space commits. To yep. JT Miller... Mm-hmm. He's standing there waving his stick up in the air. Why is it not on the ice? Yep. Tyler Myers, people get mad at him. What is he supposed to do? Yeah. These guys are moving too far out. He's got to cover space. I mean, then, but and I then mean, there's it, Quinn Hughes, you know, like on the second goal, he's losing a board battle. Then he doesn't box out McLeod, you know, like but I mean, JT multiple and, mistakes. JT and Bo have played in the NHL for almost a decade. Yeah. Like 600 games. Yeah. And they don't have these habits. Those are your leaders, oh, your captain, is... your emotional leader. Tanner Pearson takes a penalty 200 feet from his yeah. own net. He's the guy you pay to, to be the detailed discipline guy. An absolutely uh, useless penalty to take. Oliver Ekman Larson gets caught. So over who, over who on this team upholds that standard, that discipline? Got a few texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. No, I don't believe in the current core. I don't think JT can be the guy for your team to be considered elite. Another text. The core has shown that they can't even make the playoffs regularly. How are you supposed to believe in them? Uh, a few people saying, yeah, I, I believe in, in the core. Uh, one text. Core is good. Besser is a shadow of himself. Trade him. Okay. Um, well, that's partially Is accurate. he part of the core? I don't even... Well, I, so nobody said yeah. the core is good. He, so I mean, Don't get me wrong. I can understand... I can very much understand if someone was to say, tear this thing back to three studs, Demko, Pedersen, and Hughes, because I think they've all shown enough at the NHL level, that, and they're young enough, that you can build around. But but I don't think they can be your best players. I really don't. That's fine. You're, yeah. you're, you're more than welcome to your opinion. We're a very open show when it comes to opinions. We don't want to close anybody off, right? But, Stop talking. Yeah, be, please shut up. But at the same time, I could understand... A lot of people looking at this and saying, I don't even want to tear it back to those three. I'm not sure that those three are the right three pillars to build around. That's kind of what we're asking here. And these are very fair questions to have Mm -hmm. conceptually and big picture. When you're two, six, and two, they're one eighth of the way through the season. They're the worst team in the NHL. Well, you know, dead last in record. No one is worse. You know what I think, um, think about um, is if the Canucks were to rebuild, 
let's just throw it out there. If they were, if you don't trade Demko, Pedersen, or Hughes, how many assets to help you rebuild, whether it's futures, draft picks, whatever, how, like, what can you trade? Well, I mean, that's a great question, and that's where you're what going. Has, what has value right now? And that's why you have to say, well, maybe we can't even do that. It's not a retool. It's a rebuild. we got to start from scratch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, I mean, it, it's happened before. Look at Buffalo right now. Buffalo, I mean, B- Buffalo was lousy for a decade, but when they got Eichel, that was it, right? That now, was their guy. And then it went south, and guess what? Jack Eichel was no longer their guy, so they had to reverse course and start all over again. And you want to talk about no success in an era. The Eichel era brought nothing to Buffalo. No good times, no playoff success. It was just a bunch of coaches left in his wake and a bunch of GMs. So they knocked it back, started all over again, and didn't use Eichel as a pillar moving forward. Eichel was part of the reason why they're on the trajectory that they're on. This is just an example we're throwing out here. That's it. I'm not saying go that route. not saying be bad for a decade. But there are big picture conceptual questions that need to be asked, partly because, Jason, people are starting to tune out, tune out on the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. People are already not all that thrilled about what the team is doing on defense or who should be drawing in or who the fourth-line center should be or which goalie should start tonight. And we're seeing it because people have the apathy setting in earlier than ever, and that's what happens when your team is dead last in the NHL. I thought it was really interesting to hear Sat talk about habits and... He said, who in this group of players um, has good habits and and shows them consistently? And we've been talking about that in terms of like, you know, we ask questions like, who's the Canucks best two-way forward? And we'd have this debate and most people would say Petey or some people would say, well, Mikheyev apparently. But then we'd go up and down the lineup. We'd go like there, you know, especially with Tyler Mott being um, no longer part of the group. We're kind of like, geez, I don't know. Uh, Kevin Bieksa, who will be honored tonight in a retirement ceremony. Um, we talk about that team that he was on and all the guys that had good habits, whether they were, uh, on ice habits or off ice habits. Uh, we heard so much about the culture that was built in Vancouver, where guys saw this goal in front of them of trying to win a Stanley cup and of being an elite team in the NHL. And they took it serious. Yeah, they had some fun. Yeah, I'm sure they went out and had some really good nights together. But when they lost, you'd hear stories like, yeah, we lost. We should have won that game. Nobody's going out tonight. Yep. It, 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 was, it was that sort of culture. And then that culture with a bunch of losing gradually got eroded away. No ice cream for you tonight, Daniel. But Aww. back to the thing about habits. Think of all the guys that played hockey for those teams that had – good habits. So for the forwards, they were defensively responsible. You had a guy that won a Selkie in Ryan Kessler, Alex Burrows, good penalty killer. Manny Malhotra out on the PK would win the face off almost every time. And the Canucks would clear the puck down the ice. Like guys that would win battles along the boards, Chris Higgins would work along the wall and win battles. And I've only just mentioned the forwards here. You go back to the defense. Alex Edler, if he went into a puck battle in the corner, 90% of the time he was coming out with the puck. Dan Hamhuse was just like an overall really good defenseman. Was he uh, an elite offensive 
you know, the, the, the Canucks didn't have like a Norris Trophy candidate on the back end, but they had all these pieces that complemented each other. Like it seemed to be put together well. You know, you had Hamhuis and Bieksa that were kind of the shutdown pair. You had Edler and Erhoff who were a little more offensive, although Edler was good defensively despite the criticism he got sometimes. Uh, and then you had, you know, because injuries happen, you had depth. Like I haven't even mentioned Sammy Sallow. When healthy, Sammy Sallow, what, what was he, on the third pair? Like, and, and, it, and it's just you go up and down the lineup and you're like, that guy has good habits. That guy has good habits. He's usually on the right side of the puck to the point where it was a big deal if one player didn't have those habits. Remember how much time we talked about like Shane O'Brien? Well, he's not in shape. Well, it, you, do you want to be serious? Be serious there. You're an unserious defenseman. Be, well, because this is a serious hockey team. I get it. And 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 just because you know you have a few good attributes. We can't just overlook the bad ones to throw you in there. Mm -hmm. But we've gotten to the overlooking stage in Vancouver for the last decade. They're like, yeah, he's not a perfect player, but you know, he's better than anything they got, so put him in there. Yeah, and there is a dynamic locally, and this is with a lot of different outside factors, but there there's a very uniqueness to this market in that the Canucks are so heavily focused, so heavily scrutinized, and so heavily adored by people that I think sometimes there's a certain attachment to, let's be honest, sort of average, everyday, run-of-the-mill players that you can't let them go. Now, I'll say this. It works in both ways. Because let's be honest, uh, Kevin Bieksa has a special place in the, with this particular market, with this particular team, with this particular fan base that he probably would never have gotten anywhere else. There's a certain, but a lot of it has to do with what you were just talking about, but also with this market. If this market likes you or loves you, it will be fiercely loyal and forever in your corner and even willing to welcome you back when you, when you do something wrong. And that's partly because the Canucks are the biggest show in town and people have grown up with 50 years of this, 50 plus years of this. But that can also work in the negative because at a certain point, I do think that someone is going to need to step in and say, while we all love a lot of these guys individually, people love Hughes, people love Pedersen, people love Demko, People love JT Miller, right? As scrutinized as he's been to start this year, people loved him last year. Wanted him to stick around for the long haul. Sometimes you put together a group with the best intentions that you think is going to work, and then you just realize you're not good enough. It's not, it's, it's not any one person's fault. The group just didn't work. That's roster construction. Mm -hmm. It was really funny when Steve Nash got fired the other day, Kevin Durant up on the podium. And I'm sitting back and I'm like, I can't wait to hear what he has to say because he's probably one of the major reasons that <laughs> Nash is out the door. Yeah, he just said, we, we played bad basketball. But you know what he said? And he's like, this doesn't take away from Steve's basketball IQ or how smart Steve Nash is about basketball. It just didn't work. And I was like, that seems like too simple, but also probably accurate that it was just never going to work because Nash wasn't the right guy. That team was too screwed up. And nothing was going to fix it. They fired Nash as a sacrificial lamb. He had to go. But even Durant acknowledged it, it, it just wasn't going to work. It wasn't working. It hadn't worked. And it wasn't going to work. And coming to that point is tough for a lot of people. But at a certain point, you got to have it. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, as I bring this back to the Canucks, apathy isn't just going to set in. It's never going to leave. 
is just going to be there. And and apathy is not a great characteristic for a sporting fan base. I'll tell you that. Anyway, we got a lot we got to get into. Yeah, we'll give you we'll here. give you a little break from the Canucks negativity. That's the good news. The bad news for some of you is uh, it's soccer talk, and then followed by CFL talk. How about that? We're gonna have Peter Galindo at six thirty. We're gonna have Rick Campbell. Rick Campbell's at seven today, Andy. Right? Or is he at seven thirty? Seven o'clock. Seven, seven o'clock. o'clock. Yeah, perfect. So we're gonna go Canadian soccer and Canadian football as we change it up here on your home of the Canucks Sports at six fifty. Galindo next to talk about Canada as we inch closer and closer to the World Cup. I will also uh, update everybody on the status of the Halford and Bruff watch party for that opener. Uh, Canada, Belgium on November 23rd, 11 o'clock at the Hollywood Theater. So we got a lot more to get to. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the you the best. Halford and Bruff. You know, this is what you put all this work in for, is to, to get out here and have a chance to play in the playoffs. And uh, obviously playing at home, too, is a, is a bonus for us, playing in front of our home fans, and so everybody's looking forward to it. 7.02 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. That voice you just heard? BC Lions head coach Rick Campbell talking about the big game this Sunday. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs. They are hosting a CFL playoff game for the first time in 2016, since 2016, and just the second time in the last 10 years. It's a big deal. Joining us now to talk about that game and more, as mentioned, the head coach of the BC Lions, Rick Campbell, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, we're good, thanks. And thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, I just wanted to ask yeah. first and foremost about the excitement level for Sunday. So I mentioned it's been a while since BC Place has hosted a CFL playoff game. Uh, I've read our articles already that say they're going to ex- expect a fan base and a crowd of upwards of 30,000. Sarah McLaughlin is going to sing the national anthem. So it's not just a game. Uh, this is an event. And how excited are you and the coaching staff and the players about this big event on Sunday? We're, we're totally excited. Uh, number one, just the hard work you put in to, to get into the playoffs and have a chance to to do some damage in the playoffs. And then I, I really appreciated our fans all year. I thought they've been great. They've been loud when they needed to be loud when the other team's on offense, all those things. So I'm happy for the whole BC Lions community that we get to do this one more time at home. And uh, we're looking forward to it. I think it makes a big difference. I've been on the opposition playing playoff games at BC Place when it's loud, and it's really hard to play on offense when it's when you can't hear and all those things. So we're hoping to take advantage of it. So, obviously, uh, everyone is talking about Nathan Rourke. Uh, He made his return against Winnipeg a few days ago. Uh, He's been reportedly taking first-team reps at practice. Um, First of all, how do you think his return to action went against uh, the Blue Bombers? It's it's been an amazing process to watch. So, he's put in a ton of work to, to work to get back to be available for the playoffs. Last week was kind of a bonus. We we wanted to see if we could get him in a regular season game just to get the feel of game speed again and get hit and do all those things, which all those things happened last week. And I, I think it's just another step forward for him physically and also just confidence-wise that he realizes that 
that he can do it and, and be good to go. And we practiced yesterday and he looks, he, he keeps looking more and more like himself, just the way he moves around and, and all the things he does. So uh, we're, we're hoping for good things the rest of this week, which we anticipate will happen and it'll be fun to see him play on Sunday. So I'm I'm really excited for Sunday's game. I'm really excited to see Nathan Rourke in action. And yet, I just want to go back a few months to when Nathan Rourke was injured, and we're all learning about this injury called a Liz Frank injury. And we were, you know, like kind of jokingly going through the, the history of the injury, who it was named after. Was it some old French doctor or something like that? Um, right. And right. one of the yeah. one of the one of the things that we learned was like, this is not an injury that you should rush back into uh because it can have long-term consequences can you maybe just take the listeners and the fans through um the the work that you've done with doctors because listen nathan work is a young guy he's got a bright future ahead of himself and i don't think anyone wants to see him put in a situation um even though you know kind of like we want to see him play but we don't want to see him risk his career either right yeah well you're right i've learned more about this injury too than i than I ever knew the last few months. That's why I said it's been quite an interesting process to learn about. Not to get into medical details because I'm not a doctor, but he had a Liz Frank sprain. I know there's a difference between that and a and a break, and there's all there's all different levels to it. I will tell you that 100% our doctors or us would not put him in a situation to risk himself for the long term future, and he wouldn't either. That was never the goal. It was just that there was a path forward where he could get back to to playing in the playoffs this year. It wasn't guaranteed, but it was very realistic, and that if steps were followed and he wasn't rushed back and that he took these, our, our doctors used the term ramp up, and that he went through all these steps to, to keep going, and um, they, you know, we, we will not, we would not put him at risk for his, uh, his future. That doesn't make sense for for, for anybody involved. So um, I appreciate our doctors. They've been very thorough. It was amazing when the injury happened. They talked to people all over North America that, you know, people that deal with all the major sports leagues, NBA, NFL, you know, whatever it is. So a lot of people are involved in making sure this was all done the right way. And it's been fun to just see, well, it's fun to see him back out there because I've just seen the hard work that's been put in number one by Nathan, of course, first. And then just our doctors and seeing the whole process play out. And it's uh, the fun part is obviously to see it in action where, you know, they said this is what can happen and it's, and it's happening. So um, obviously I'm glad that it is. Do we expect uh, Nathan to have his full complement of receivers or are there still some things that you're a little bit worried about the likes of Brian Burnham? Uh, uh, Lucky, Lucky Whitehead's the one question mark. So okay. We're uh, we're resting him these two days. He's just had this chronic ankle thing um, that's just kind of been going on as the weeks have gone by, and he just aggravates it. And so we're going to see if he can go tomorrow and then make a decision from there. Uh, Burnham's good to go. He practiced yesterday and looks like Brian Burnham, so that's good news. So um, other than lucky, we expect the the crew the crew to be back that people were used to, uh, you know, that we're playing with Nathan for the whole first part of the season let's turn our attention to uh your opponent the calgary stampeders uh you know the cfl is such a unique league that (laughs) this is the fourth time you're going to see the stamps uh you know three times during the regular season and now in the playoffs um 
does it get into a bit of a chess match in terms of game planning or am I maybe overthinking that and you just, you go out and play your game? It, it, there's no, there's some obviously strategy involved, uh, but it's going to come down to who plays better. Um, you know, less mistakes and who, who plays the game better. And there we're really close uh, as, as far as that team goes. And, I told our guys, we, we talked about the second time we played in Calgary about the tiebreaker thing, about what a big deal it was because we played them three times. And for our guys to go beat them twice in Calgary was a big, big accomplishment. And it, um, you know, I'm proud of our players because it paid off and it means we get to play a game at home. Um, but I, we expect a really tough game. That's how it is with Calgary. And I know their coaches really well. They've, you know, they know what they're doing. They've been in the CFL a long time. And so, um, you know, we expect a really good game. So it's safe to say that the Calgary Stampeders may be not the, the favorite group of people among your players. I know there's some history between the teams. That's what happens when you play three times during the season. That's what happens when you play really close, uh, entertaining games, as were the case of the, the first two games. Um, your players are going to be excited. Uh, there's going to be a big crowd. How do you try and channel that emotion while also remembering, like, you got to stay disciplined for this, and sometimes you can be too emotional? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. It is the it gets ramped up. Uh, we always talk about a healthy amount of stress and anxiety. You know, people think of stress and anxiety as a bad thing, but there's a healthy level you can operate with, and it uh, you know gets you ready to play. I, I think both teams have a very healthy respect for each other. Um, so, and, and when you're in the playoffs, you know, the focus is on winning. And so, um, I expect there to be, I, I expect it to be pretty businesslike as far as people, uh, wanting to do things within the rules to, to try to win the game. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there, but it is exciting. It's, uh, um, playing these guys, you know, playing a team that's competitive and, uh, uh, somewhat of a rival and having a big crowd, all those things are good things for us. We're speaking to Rick Campbell here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Rick, in addition to being the head coach of the BC Lions, you also serve as the club's co-general manager. So in that executive role, I got to ask you, what's it been like working with the owner, Amar Doman, this year? Amazing. It's just, a, it's been amazing. Um, I'm, I'm new to the BC Lions. This is my second year as far as actively coaching. I was here during the pandemic, but just seeing the energy he brought, um, seeing the people that have been with the lions, whoever it is on the business side or marketing or um, football ops, just seeing the new energy that he brought in and he's so passionate about the whole thing. And I really appreciate that he's, he's local. So he, he truly cares about um, the Vancouver area and all of BC. And you can see that he's fully invested and um, can't, can't say enough about what a positive impact he's had and, um, I appreciate, he's one of those guys that, you know, tell me, tell me things we can do. Don't tell me things we can't do. Right. And he's, he's always had that attitude and, uh, I sure appreciate, uh, sure appreciate him and everything that he's done and things like this happening on, uh, that's going to happen on Sunday or as, uh, he's a big part of it, of course. 
it is the Lions. It is the Stamps. It is the opening round of the CFL playoffs at BC Place. First time Canadian Football League playoff action has been at BC Place since 2016. They are expecting crowds of upwards of 30,000. You can still get tickets. The Upper Bowl is going to be opened. Sarah McLaughlin's going to be singing the national anthem. Bottom line, it's going to be a really cool day. Rick, good luck on Sunday. Go get a win, and hopefully we can do this and preview the West Final the week following. That would be awesome. Have a good morning. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's Rick Campbell, the head coach and co-GM of the BC Lions here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, So the Vancouver Canucks play tonight against the Anaheim Ducks. Um, It's Kevin Bieksa's retirement ceremony. I don't know which one is top billing at this point, the hockey game or BX's retirement ceremony. BX's retirement. There are... (laughs) There are legitimate questions to be asked ahead of this game, like the type of questions that we'd always ask, like, you know, should Spencer Martin start tonight? Uh, should Jack Rathbone play? Uh, we can talk about those things with Brendan Batchelor at 8 o'clock, but just for a few minutes here, I want to talk about the juxtaposition of Bieksa getting honored during one of the worst starts in franchise history because I don't really think that can be ignored. Sure. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Bieksa was or was the type of player that Canucks fans would love to see on this team right now. Just going through all the good things about him. He was drafted and developed by the team. A fifth round draft pick. So nothing was gifted to this guy. He was tough. He backed up his words with his fists when necessary. He came up big in the big moments, scoring the goal that sent the Canucks to the Stanley Cup final. He was proud as hell to be a Canuck. Uh, He was a good person. And he was a good person without being a goody two-shoes. Does that make sense? Like He wasn't too good. No, he he was. He was good, but he didn't need to let everyone know that he was this good person. Uh, he was very funny, but also super competitive. Like he, he, there's no doubt he had a good sense of humor, but he wasn't, he took his job seriously and he was a good teammate. Uh, looking back, listen, he wasn't a perfect player by any means. It was, he really, what he wasn't what you'd call an elite defenseman, but he was a legit top four guy who played in all situations. He killed penalties. He got power play time. He did all the things that you need to do to be a successful defenseman. He blocked shots. He hit guys. He won battles along the boards. He engaged. He wanted to battle. And as mentioned, he dropped the gloves when necessary. The Canucks defense today is just barely a shadow of that unit that Bieksa played on. Harken back to those days. Typically, Bieksa would pair with Hughes. Edler was with Erhoff, and that left... Sammy Sallow is an extra when everyone was healthy, which granted that was rare. Everyone was healthy, but that's called depth. <laughs> and you, you look at the way the, uh, the, that group was built. It wasn't any one way. BX and Edler were draft picks. Erhoff and Sallow were acquired in really savvy trades where not all that much was given up with all due respect to, you know, Peter Schaefer, uh, Ham Hughes, was an unrestricted free agent signing who left money on the table to join a contender and play close to home. 
remember that time when people would take less money mm-hmm. to come to the Vancouver Canucks. That's what contender they have that advantage where people want to play for a winner. Uh, we already mentioned this on the show a little bit, but just to reiterate, because we've talked about the mix of the current players mm-hmm. on this Canucks team, like if you look at that back end that that Bieksa was part of, there were there were all these complementary pieces. Sure, you had puck moving ability, you had def- defensive ability, you had physicality. There wasn't one elite defenseman back there. Like there was no one that was getting you know Norris Trophy votes or Norris Trophy consideration. But this is the key, guys. They all provided value mm-hmm. for what they were being paid, how much they took up against the cap. They were all they were all positive pieces for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, in terms of a blue line construction, it was great. It wasn't the it wasn't the standard. Remember, most teams go with it. You got your big number one guy, and then everything else falls in line with that. But it was a well, the words to use are well and constructed. It was very well constructed. Everything clicked. Everything worked. Everything made sense. And then you brought up the juxtaposition. We're going to have arguments tonight about which eight or six of the eight guys available are going to be thrown into this jumble where nothing really matches or makes sense. OEL and Myers play together for reasons unbeknownst other than that's what you kind of have to do. Like, it's not like the pairing is great. It's other, I don't know. It wasn't great the other night. Yeah. I don't know what the correlation is. Like you got a tall guy and you got a short guy. Like, I don't know what the, the explanation Lefty is. ready. Yeah. They're both paid a lot. Put them together. And then the old video game. You pick the, the small, the big and the, yeah, you just, you, you match them up. Yeah. Get right? the right combo. And then Hughes and Shen is sort of a marriage of kind of convenience where one guy is slow and stays at home and the other guy likes to skate around, but it's not, it's not a cohesive unit, and it, now they've got the added element of it's going to change repeatedly because they have eight guys for six spots, and then assuming Dermott and maybe Pullman, I don't know, get healthy, then it becomes nine. Now, here's the thing. Um, what happened in 2011, a lot, of th- a lot of luck has to go your way too, and a lot of things have to happen that are out of your control. As a manage, management group and a coach, all you can really do is put the guys together and then tell them what their roles are and how you want them to execute and then say, go. Go out into the world, young men, be NHL-capable NHL defensemen. Um, but this roster construction, you would never say that this is the way to do it. The Canucks in 2011, there was proof of concept. You're like, you can build a Stanley Cup finalist <laughs> caliber defense without having a clear-cut number one and with a bunch of good-not-greats. Yeah. That's what they did in 94, too. But w- with this, I think the one thing you can say is, I've never looked at how this defense has been built and said this is a good way to go about it. This is a good blueprint. This is a good road plan, roadmap, whatever. It's just this sort of mismatch of guys that have been available in free agency or guys that are in a middling sort of trade or, as Drance kind of coined it, a bunch of bottom pair guys around the ages of 24 to 27 that are probably are well, with Aris players. Let, let's talk about the one guy that's really under the gun right now on the back end, and that's Oliver ekman Larson. Look how he was acquired. Right. It wasn't like the Canucks were dying to get Oliver ekman Larson. They were dying to get rid of some bad contracts, some bad short-term contracts. So they were willing to take a long-term gamble on Oliver ekman Larson. Now, sure, they didn't. I don't think Jim Benning like didn't 
like Oliver Ekman Larson. I think he thought he was a capable defenseman because Oliver Ekman Larson has been a capable defenseman in the NHL. In fact, at one time he was considered an elite defenseman in the NHL. That is no longer the case. Yeah, it was just a long time ago. And the risk that was taken on when uh, the Canucks made that trade, you know, the gain was short term. The risk was long term. And frankly, they didn't even get the gain. They didn't even get the short term gain because they missed the playoffs despite discarding the contracts of Beagle and Roussel. And I think I'm forgetting one more. Oh, Erickson. Yeah, Louis. I have a question. The big one. I have a question for you. Would Bruce Boudreaux ever consider scratching, healthy scratching, not physically scratching, healthy scratching Oliver Ekman Larson? I wondered that about tonight's game. I really did. Look, look at some of the, the considerations that you've got right now on the back end. Does the organization want Jack Rathbone to get an opportunity? If they do, maybe scratching Oliver Ekman Larson is the way to do that. I don't know. Because I, I, I think it was a mistake to take Burroughs out after the way he played on Friday against the Penguins, but I understand why he did come out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you want to bring, you want to obviously give Ethan Bear an opportunity. You want to give Riley Stillman an opportunity. He's new to the club. But they've got too many bodies now. Yes, we've talked about this. Right? And if again, if guys get healthy, they're going to have even more bodies that are clamoring to get in the lineup. Like, if you had to pick a six tonight on Kevin BX tonight, one of the greatest defensemen in franchise history, and you're like, now fill out your lineup card. Who are the six going in tonight? It's weird because you've actually got really tough decisions, but you're not enamored with any of You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I have a tough decision because I have to play six of these guys. And this is meant as, yeah, it's kind of a shot, throwing some shade, but that's the reality of this blue line right now. And we've had this conversation dating way back to the summer when we kept sitting there on the opening days of free agency and the subsequent days and saying, poking the Canucks with a stick. Do something on the defense. Do something. Scratch yeah. both OEL and Myers, and I'm not being facetious. I mean, like, seriously, just try, oh, it, there, try it for a game. See what happens. Like, I know a lot the, of permutations. I, I, know the, I know the fans don't uh, – don't make the lineup, and, I, and the you know the fans don't have to deal with the uh, implications in the room or whatever of scratching veteran players, and then there can be implications to that. But right now, if the fans were making the lineup, OEL wouldn't be playing, and Tyler Myers wouldn't be playing. Yeah, take them both out just for a game, see what happens. Well, how, how could it get worse? You, yeah, <laughs> you do you, you do bring up a very good point, albeit flip, like you're being flippant. But I get what I'm you're curious saying. to see. I, what I would don't happen. think he's being flippant. Well, <laughs> I think he would do it. I do genuinely. I do genuinely do want to see what would happen. Right, Coach Andy would do it. Yes, uh, just Co- for one game. I wouldn't say do it long term, but just see what happens. Shake it up a bit. Can the players call you a dog? Sure, I love it. Oh, that's awesome. You're a players coach. I'm yes, learning more exactly. about Coach Andy. Yeah. No, but it's it's a valid thing to bring up because if you're going to have, let's say eight right now, eight. NHL caliber defenseman. I'm using that term loosely, but for the purpose of this argument, just go along with me. If you have eight NHL caliber defensemen and you are the worst team in the NHL, there's nothing suggesting that any of them deserve to be in the lineup over another guy. Maybe Hughes is the exception, but outside of that, what have any of them shown you over the first 10 games of the season to suggest that they deserve to be every night players when you have other capable NHL options behind them? I mean, Boudreaux's tried everything else. He's the coach of the worst team in the NHL by record, but also maybe by spirit. And he's going without a contract. 
his job is probably on the line. Why would you not pull out all the stops and at least say, hey, before I lost my job, I tried everything I could to get this team going. Do you know what OEL's total salary is this season? Like, we all know his cap hit. Do you know what his total salary is this season? Uh, $13 million? I don't even know. Ten and a half. That's a lot of money. Ten and a half million dollars. That's a lot of money. And most people right now would, I imagine, sign up to Healthy Scratch him tonight. He's got some time left on this contract. I know he does, and this it makes it tough, but that's a management problem. You know, and, and in a weird way, Boudreaux kind of has the freedom and the, the give-no-care attitude to do these sorts of things. I mean, what's he going to lose? More games? Maybe. But he could also win a couple. Other, other guys have made these tough decisions with highly paid former star players before in other markets. Mm-hmm. It sucks. You're going to get a lot of heat. You throw a lot of heat on your ownership and but management. There needs to be heat. Question. There needs to be heat. Well, there, just, there needs to be, you know, I know Connor Garland got healthy scratched one night. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and we did see some implications from that, right? Like, there was, I, I don't know if it was a coincidence that the reports about the dressing room came out right after that. Could have been. I know some people theorized that. But this group needs to be shaken up. Mm-hmm. It, it's happened before. In other markets, with other players who have big, long, onerous contracts and aren't playing up to that dollar sign. And I don't know if it's going to fix everything for this team. I doubt that it will because this team feels like it has a lot of issues. But at this stage of the game, given how dire things are, you should be willing to try pretty much anything. Pretty much anything. And remember, a healthy scratch isn't a death knell in a lot of places. I think the Sabres healthy scratch Jeff Skinner. And he and were able to bring him back, even though they knew that they were tied to him for an awfully long time. Just as an example. It sends a message, right? It sends a message that there's a standard for everyone, regardless of what your contractual obligation is. And also that you're showing the group, we're going to do everything and we're going to un- uncover or turn over every stone to try and get better and get wins. Those are good messages. They're tough. They're tough to relay, but they're good messages. Uh, coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, more hockey talk to come. We'll talk Canucks with David Amber, but we can also get into a night on the calendar in which there are 13, yeah, 13 NHL games and a lot of really good ones too. Uh, starting early in the Eastern Conference, Carolina-Tampa Bay, which is a great matchup. The Bruins, the best team in the NHL right now, take on the Rangers in an original six clash. That's a great game. And then some ones you're going to want to pay attention to locally. The Nashville Predators, Saturday's opponent, they're in Calgary to take on the Flames. And the red-hot New Jersey Devils, who just beat the Canucks the other night, they're in Edmonton to take on Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Oilers. So lots of good games tonight, lots to talk about. We'll talk about it with David Amber from Sportsnet. That's coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.